Welcome to Marketing School, the only podcast that provides daily top-level marketing tips and strategies from entrepreneurs that practice what they preach and live what they teach. Let's start leveling up your marketing knowledge with your instructors, Neil Patel and Eric Sue. All right, we're back for another reactions video. We've been traveling for a couple weeks, but we're finally back. So we got a lot of topics on the docket today and we're just gonna go, we're gonna go one by one. So let's first and foremost, Google, let's start with the Google marketing live event. You go. So Google had a marketing live event before that. I believe the other event was called the IO event. If you break down both of them, you'll then get a full picture of what's happening with AI search, the tools they're creating uh, really cool event. If you haven't seen it, you can still get recorded videos of it. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on the event and the changes that they're making? Yeah. So it's a lot of AI being added into ads, right? So we're going to, we're not going to read off all the things that were mentioned, but for example, you can now create campaigns using conversational AI, meaning that you can type, you can basically type into a chat interface and ask it to create some of the assets for you. Similar to a lot of Adobe just came out with something earlier this week, which we can talk about, but mid journey, you can basically do text to text to video, text to photo and things like that. Maybe text to video is another tool, but conversational AI is basically going to make it a lot easier to create campaigns and you can basically integrate, um, you know, you can now add add for performance max. One of the, the newest campaign experience is going to be, um, enhanced at enhanced goal and new brand new goals that will allow you to steer pmax efforts towards your ideal customer i'm just reading off uh the summary here so all that to say is i'll pass it back to neil in, in, a, in a second but um at the end of the day they're trying to save you a lot of time i don't think these are the most groundbreaking features i think we're still in the very first inning of of ai here but it shows that they are really focused on trying to drive a better user experience for advertisers yeah, the other thing that they showcase during the event is, let's say you're in the AdWords interface and you have a cat food website and you want to end up creating ads. You can just type in, it'll end up coming up with images for you and you can end up saying, all right, well, this cat food looks good. Let me actually showcase the ingredients and then boom, it'll come up with tons of different variations just showcasing the ingredients. So you can get really specific. Uh, they're just releasing more tools to make the whole experience easier for marketers and corporations to spend more money on Google. And they're trying to use AI to pr produce the best results out there for you. So in that way, you don't have to uh, play around to try to figure out how to maximize your ROI with AdWords. But on the flip side, or technically Google ads. I know they changed it from AdWords to Google ads years ago, but technically if everyone's using AI and they're doing the same stuff, it's not going to give you enough of an edge. I still believe you're going to have to do a lot of creative stuff manually. The Google tools will save you quite a bit of time, but you got to come up with your own unique stuff to really try to stand out. If you don't, you're just going to be doing the same me too stuff as everyone else. And it's not going to be as effective over time. As a side note, to go on a tangent real quick, Neil, obviously the moat is the data that you have. So are you doing anything interesting with the data that you have from the software products that you have? We are. We're slicing and dicing and trying to come up with more trends and insights on what we should uh, go after in different industries. And we're also breaking it down by different countries too. 
Yep. So the other thing too, so what, what I was trying to say earlier, so I use, funny enough, I use BARD to summarize the event. And so I, now I'm reading off a BARD summary here. So for example, you can now use Performance Max to reach customers across Google's entire advertising network, including search, YouTube, display, and shopping. So you're going to have a more holistic approach because when I remember running ads maybe 10 years ago or so, if I'm going to create YouTube ads, it just goes for YouTube ads. But if you do a PMAX thing, it goes across everything. And there's a better way to measure product profitability. So that's all coming. The other thing I'll say, too, is you're going to have enhanced YouTube campaigns, meaning that you are going to have a way to optimize just for you know getting views. So um, And then also you can expand your creative assets and optimize results with Google AI. So um basically a lot more to do with YouTube. And I'll, I will say YouTube ads is one of those untapped gold mines. I, I used it. I bet an entire startups um, livelihood on YouTube ads back in the day um, when I was about to get uh, let go. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to be let go. I'm going to bet the entire thing on YouTube ads. So that's what happened. And it worked out thankfully. And I think it's, it's a goal. I'm, more and more people are using YouTube. I think people are like, Oh, it's too saturated. It's, it's actually not. I think it's, it's has one of the best long-term potentials in terms of all the social media channels. Yeah, and they're just making changes and adapting to what everyone else is doing. So that way it's A, easier for you as a marketer or business, and B, hopefully it produces more income for them, right? You can't hate them for it. Yep. And before we move on, so so here's what I want to read off to you with the, the, new two, the two new campaign types here. So you have video views. So video view campaigns will combine skippable in-stream ads, in-feed ads, and shorts ads to get the most views for a video. So they're combining all the video views now. And I think that's that's pretty smart because a lot of people watch shorts at the end of the day and they're trying to figure out how to better monetize shorts and also pay more, pay the creators more money because cre shorts creators right now really aren't making anything because the views aren't worth as much. But if you have more advertising layering into shorts, then they should be able to do well. And it makes a lot of sense for people to buy video views, especially if you think you've cranked out a banger putting views towards that might make a lot of sense, especially if you're retargeting your audience and trying to build more, more affinity for your brand. And then the other one here is demand gen campaigns, which will show across YouTube shorts, YouTube in-stream, YouTube in-feed, discover and Gmail to drive conversions. And you'll get a new lookalike segment builder to help advertisers expand the reach. So ultimately what this is going to do is it's going to save you time. Hopefully it's going to drive more conversions for you. So we think all this stuff is exciting and you know, that the AI hype train is going to continue to go, which I think actually goes in well, with the next piece I wanted to bring up here, which is NVIDIA stock jumping 30%. I don't really want to talk about it so much from the point of, hey, like NVIDIA the company, but we can talk about it this more from like a like a marketing standpoint and maybe like an overall business standpoint too. So what are your thoughts on this, Neil? Well, the, the, the reason the stock jumps so much is because their forecast going into future quarters has changed drastically. Due 11 to billion. Yes, it, it changed drastically due to the demand for the AI chips. And Marvel, I think it's called Marvel or Marvel Technologies is another one in which the their stock went um, up quite a bit as well for similar reasons. But, but this is all just telling us that AI is booming. It's here to stay. And it's, it's a lot of companies are starting to leverage AI technology, not just in marketing. Um, you're going to see a lot of things change within the next 12 months. You know, the saying I love saying when it comes to AI there were decades where you saw very little progress related to anything related to AI. Now there's weeks that go by where you feel like there's decades worth of progress. You know, funny enough that the story here was I used to play a lot of games growing up. And when I was nine years old and NVIDIA went public, I told my parents to buy NVIDIA stock because all they would do is talk about stocks back in the day. But it just shows that 
my, my, my point of saying all this is when it comes to business, it's not that it takes a year or even five years. It, it doesn't even take a decade. Really, we're talking about decades here. So Jensen Huang, he's been doing this for over 30 years, right? And I think if you want to build something really significant and just sticking with it, sticking to your guns and then adapting to the macro environment, adapting to technologies, that's what it really takes. It's Again, it's not, it's not one year. It's not one decade. It's multiple decades at a time to build something significant. And that's what I think is so impressive here. I, I think the, the forward-looking guidance they previously had was $7 billion and then then it became like 11 billion that's our guidance moving forward and from what i'm seeing from what i'm hearing i mean everyone's trying to buy these gpus right it used to be you know and we're not technical people here but gpus they these are when you i was looking at a graph earlier today on on twitter and basically these chat gpts it's there's more lag that's coming in now which means it's there's more demand on the computing systems and that means there's more demand for stuff like whatever nvidia is pumping out and th that being said though i don't know how much of a moat they have long term because you have facebook making chips apple's making chips you have all these big tech companies that are focusing on making chips so um but i, I still think nvidia is great the, the big takeaway for anyone listening and this is just my opinion i'm not necessarily right on this we're seeing a lot of companies heavily invest in AI and try to build new products. I would slow roll things quite a bit more if I was most companies. And the reason being is most businesses aren't going to be an AI play in which they have some revolutionary product that's going to enable AI uh, at mass scale like ChatGPT or BARD or NVIDIA chips. Most companies are going to be using AI to bring more efficiencies, create better products and services and enable their core business to perform better leveraging AI technology. And a lot of businesses right now that we're talking to are trying to figure out where to invest a lot of money in AI. And to most businesses, I recommend to wait and see where others are investing the money and let them invest, let them build the shovels, the tooth, the, the shovels, the axes, the jeans, whatever you want to end up calling it, and just pay for their software, their AI technology and license it. It's going to be cheaper and more efficient. People will come up with some really crazy stuff over the next 12 months that will really help your business when it comes to efficiencies or marketing. It's easier than you going and investing millions of dollars to build something when someone's already going to build it and you can just pay $1,000 a year to just use it. Yeah. So I was at an investor conference this week. And so those of you that listen to the the All In pod, Brad Gerstner is sometimes he appears and he's a... He is part of Altimeter Capital, super smart guy. And I think he owns, he owns 20%, something like that, of Snowflake, the publicly traded company. So like they plowed in hard. Like, so he, he, he's, you know, been around the block when it comes to just being an investor. Right. And so what he said was those companies that don't use AI, they're going to be left in the dust. It's almost akin to not using the internet. They're going to be at a severe disadvantage. So my main point here is I believe that your most companies are going to be AI enabled long-term. It's just it's the same thing as using the internet. That being said, to Neil's point, I don't believe that they should be trying to build platforms. They should be trying to build um, AI products, which is kind of what we're seeing right now. There's you know, the, the the funding environment has dried up, but there is money going into AI just because it's like the new hot thing. So anyway, that's that. Yeah, and, and don't, in other words, don't focus on building a ton of AI tech, leverage what's out there, be patient, wait three to six months, 
uh, you'll probably, if you don't find it right now, you'll probably find what you need within three to six months and someone's already built it and you can just license it for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, I think it's it's important for everyone to take a crawl, walk, run approach. So in our, we have these working AI group meetings each week and we're talking about new ideas that we want to try out and new things we're doing internally, things that we want to do for clients and things like that. And I participate in those just to help drive the conversation forward. And, you know, what I keep repeating to people over and over is that let's take a crawl, walk, run. What's the crawl, walk, run approach here? What's the impact on this? So all the marketing experiments that you've ran, the the frameworks that you've used in terms of running your marketing meetings. So the impact confidence ease framework, so the ICE model, right? And so when you're going to try an experiment, think about how big of an impact it's going to make, how confident you are that it's going to win, and the ease of running that experiment. And that, so it's really important to A, prioritize, and B, try to chunk whatever project that you have in mind into more bite-sized pieces. That way it's a lot more manageable. Neil? Yeah. Let's move on to the next topic. You want to talk about bank rate while we're on AI, you want to talk about bank rates, AI content follow-up? Yeah. So I'm going to share my screen over here. Those of you that can, that are watching us on YouTube, those of you that are not just watch along or listen along, I should say. So bank rate is a, they've used an AI tool to write hundreds of articles. And this, this article in itself is analyzing the results. And I'm just going to give you the high level here. So Bankrate, they talk about, it's like a financial website, and they do disclose that when they're writing articles, whether they're assisted by AI or not. And so here's what we can see here. So one thing is that we can see that on a small sample size of about 20 AI articles, there are a few that are ranking in the number one spot for the, the keyword that they're aiming for. So that's pretty damn good. And 11 of the 20 articles that this person checked are ranking on page one for the primary keyword, okay? And the, t the main takeaway here is it doesn't seem like the AI content is ranking any better or worse than bank rates, human written articles. But they're having a humans modify the AI content, no one just double checking it. So it's not just publishing AI content without any human intervention, no? Correct. Yeah. So there is human intervention here. <clears throat> and <clears throat> that's one of the key points of this article too. So one thing, I'll just keep moving through this and we'll move to the key takeaways, but um, can AI detectors detect this content? So in some cases, they are detecting certain paragraphs are you know, generated by AI. But as long as, to Neil's point, as long as you have a human being, a human editor, or it's human assisted, or humans handling the last mile, then you're good to go, right? So you can see, if we go to the very bottom over here, the key takeaways here, right? So if you plan to use AI to write content, I'd try to model what Bankrate is doing. Edit the article and make it enjoyable to read. Create author pages that prove your expertise. So that goes into the EEAT. Don't publish hundreds of AI articles every month. EAT stands for experience, expertise, authority, and trust. Correct. And also publish human written content. Don't go 100% AI. So going back to the crawl, walk, run approach I talked about earlier, this is very much, I believe this is kind of in the walk phase, right? They're testing this out. They're not running. They're not trying to go crazy and pump out 7,000 articles that are completely AI driven. Yeah. The other thing too, is even if you use AI, written content the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to content creation and seo is writing content isn't what gets you the most traffic it's actually continually updating your content which is what gets you a lot of traffic in the long run and most publishers that we see make that mistake yep so let's move on to the next one this one could be a quickie but earlier this week facebook got fined a record 1.3 billion over data transfers to the U.S. And this is from the, they, I think they got fined by the EU, correct? 
Yeah, but they're trying to fight it, so they're not just paying up the $1.3 billion. Their stock went down a little bit when the news first came out, but of course, everyone assumed that they would try to fight it. Yeah, I mean, I think recently, maybe a couple of years ago, Amazon got, Amazon got fined $700 million or $800 million or something like that. They're appealing as well. And I mean, you know, what's, what's, what's the general takeaway here is the, is the question. You're going to see a lot more fines coming and you're going to get fines for a lot of things related to data privacy, which affects marketing. You're also going to see it for things like AI. Uh, did you see the Sam Altman uh, backtracking with uh, EU on pulling out? No. What do you say? It was something around some, I'm going to actually just Google Altman uh, backtracks. Let's see. Uh, where is it? Sam Altman of OpenAI backtracks on a vote to halt operations in Europe. And of course, he's going to backtrack on that because Europe is a massive market. If you combine all of Europe, it's another United States when you look at GDP or somewhere similar around there. Yep. No, I, I actually didn't see that earlier. Um, yeah. But point, point being, I mean, it's, um, you know, data is... You got to own your data, right? The more first party data you have, the better, right? And if you have a data moat, then you have an advantage. That's what we're really talking about at the end of the day. So the next thing I wanted to talk about here is there's, I don't know if you've seen this, Neil, but there's this concept knowing, known as the ad index. And so what this means, if you think about index funds, right? So index funds, is a, it's, a, it's a compilation of, let's say, stocks. Like there's a S&P 500 index, right? These are the top 500 stocks in the U.S., and there's an ad index that shows whether the overall spend in the advertising industry is increasing or decreasing, but it has decreased for the 10th consecutive month. And so we want to give our thoughts around this. And basically because we both have ad agencies, we can shed a little more light here. So I think there's going to be more decreases coming in the next few months. Uh, Eric and I both know a lot of people in the advertising agency world. Almost every single ad agency we know is either flat or declining. Uh, some are getting growth, but they're getting through growth through either a expansion into new lines of services or new regions or country. I'll give you a great example of this is our agencies. When we look at year to date revenue from a global perspective, uh, what do we do year to date this year versus compared to prior year? Our international agencies have grown 74%. So they're up, right? That's one way we're getting growth. But most agencies are getting declined. Why are they getting declined? Because people are cutting back on marketing, ad spend, everything just due to fears in the economy, even if their business is booming. Yeah, let me just share. This is uh, those of you that are watching on YouTube. So this is not the best. It's not the clearest image here. But at least you can get a sense for you can see. So basically starting in July of 22, monthly change in U.S. ad spending year on year, it just keeps decreasing, keeps going down, keeps going down. December 22 looked like, which is usually when people spend more, at least if you're D2C, it looks like it was the worst. And then it's still continuing to decline. So I think we're in for more December pain. I don't know. One if it of the biggest ad periods of the year. It doesn't even matter if you're a D2C. Companies spend so much of their budget in uh, Q4. We even see that in B2B because not every company, but a lot of companies, they have their annual budgets and they do break it down on a quarterly. But at the end of the year is when people have surplus and like spend, spend, spend. We see that in both B2B and B2C. 
You know what's interesting too? So Neil and I, we have this mutual friend, and I was um, I was at a YPO event um, about a week ago or so, and there's a lot of agencies there, and uh, some of these are you know pretty significantly sized with you know hundreds of employees, sometimes even over um, you know thousands of employees. And the guy I was talking to, he really is, is he's building this platform right now to acquire other agencies. He's talking to a lot of agencies, and you know his main point here was look. Any agency that says they're crushing it right now or they're doing really well right now, at, at least if they're based in the United States, they're lying to you, right? And, you know, that's based on the data that, I mean, he's having, you know, hundreds of conversations. And so international is a different story. You know, Neil just kind of gave a case in point there. Um, no, but but yeah, international I, markets are tough too. The only reason we're scaling so fast internationally is we're starting from zero. You start from zero. Oh, so the numbers are big, right? They're in the eight figures. Yeah. So... Anyway, but point being, they're still small, right? Internationally, we started from zero. It's not hard. Um, and, and on a side note, one thing that we love doing, speaking of ads been going down in December, everyone spends so heavily from like Black Friday, right before all that stuff happens to uh, Christmas time. What we love doing, and you can do this really well in B2B, ad costs get really cheap the moment Christmas comes around. So we'll actually spend a lot of the budget from December 25th to end of the year because we're able to acquire leads for just so much cheaper for our customers in the B2B category. B2C, if you want, if you want the numbers around those uh, times, you're going to have to spend it between uh, Black Friday and or Cyber Monday all the way to uh, Christmas time. But for some industries, it doesn't matter when you get the customer. For those we actually start going a little bit more heavy actually after December 25th, because that's when we can get at, we can, we can generate quite a bit of uh, customers for way cheaper for enterprises. Cool. So next one I want to move to is this Adobe. Have you heard of this generative fill? Have you seen this yet, Neil? I here, have. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit play. Adobe stuff. I was at their event here. Let's hit this. No, and then no, you can I was talk at about the Adobe Firefly, Firefly event live. So you saw this, right? Yeah, they ended up breaking down a lot of their tools. Yep. So, I mean, you could just do a lot more now. Generative fill. You, you may want to end up breaking this down because most people are listening to this in an audio way. And well, you, you were talking. You explained it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to go back, what Eric's looking at on the screen is not right now, but what he was looking at is a road and the road didn't have lines. And he just, you know, drew a line and said, put in yellow lines to separate the road into two sides. And it pretty much did it. Uh, and it can do a lot of things from changing up mountains to filling out backgrounds to saying like, Hey, add Northern lights in the background. When you have an image of a mountain in the night and you're just like, or it could be during the day, turn it to nighttime add the Northern lights in the background and you can do a lot of cool things like that without having to actually take a picture. I'm curious to see what's going to happen to, I know it's going to happen to marketing. Markers don't care if someone naturally took the image of like, cool, just build it for me. And if you can do it through AI or generative AI, great, even better. Um, but for photographers, like think about national geographics, right? What, what's going to happen to the whole photography industry now that people can just, not well, more I, I mean, version of Photoshop. That, so that, that's a, that's a good point. So here's what I think. And I, I think we've talked about this offline, but you really like when we're talking, so, so go back, going back to the YPO event, a lot of these agency owners are worried, especially the ones that have hundreds of employees. They're just like, 
they believe that there's going to be a big impact on service-based businesses where our thesis is that you're really only going to rely on the top talent that you have, maybe the top 20% generating 80% of the results. And so my, this actually ties in well with photographers too. Maybe the best photographers out there, they're going to continue to pump out original content to feed the, these engines, right? But it's really only the best of the best that matter, right? So you have the up and comers that are super talented and you have the ones that are really established. And then the people in the middle kind of get creamed. And so I think that's going to happen across the board, not just even in the photography industry. Yep. No, I agree with you on that. Let me ask you this. Do you see something like this potentially happening a lot more in the service industry? Because I've seen my friend, he's cut. So let's say, let's say you're, uh, you're, you're an advertising agency. I think there's going to be a lot of ways to be more efficient. Um, I still see really large corporations hiring ad agencies all day long. I don't really see that changing. I see that happening, but I see the, you don't need to have necessarily thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it depends if you're WPP, I still don't see how they do it without thousands and thousands of people. Because if you look at the biggest advertising contracts, they tend to be global ones. So it's like we're right now, we're about to sign a contract with a really large financial company. Everyone knows them. If you're in marketing, most people have used them and they need help with their marketing in three regions or SEO. And once we do well in those three regions, they'll be like, cool, we'll open up the door for 80 more regions. Yeah. I'm, I'm just talking relatively speaking, right? For a lot of those kind of things, it's, it's hard to do it without, because the culture in all these countries is very different. Uh, then you have language, you need boots on the ground. I do believe you can automate a lot of parts of marketing, but if you look at majority of these big hold coasts, they're making a lot of their money helping manage ads uh, and everything around that from coming up with creative campaign ideas, you know, creating the marketing. Like I don't see people leveraging AI to create Super Bowl commercials. I see a few people doing it as stunts, but majority of people will still want a lot of their advertising done manually because the type of campaigns you can get if you go and build a team and go create a Super Bowl commercial is drastically different than if you just have AI create a Super Bowl commercial for you. Yeah, my main point here is no doubt if you're a WPP, you're, you're one of the largest advertising holding companies out there, or just, hold, just service holding companies out there. Instead of having tens of thousands of people, you might cut down a little bit. So I'm saying there's going to be efficiencies. I don't totally know if it's a 20% agree. hit, 30% hit, 40%. That's what I'm asking. Yes. Yeah. So like, let's say they have 100,000 employees. I think you're going to go from 100 to maybe like 80, 85,000 employees. I think you can start producing 15, 20% efficiencies. The reason I don't see you going down like 50% is because instead of- well, Over uh, what time period though? Over what time period? even four or five years, six, seven years. I don't see it because what companies will say is, okay, now you can do these things more efficiently. We want you to spend more time and energy on these other aspects, like coming up with creative concepts, helping produce those things that you can't have AI do it. So I think AI is going to make marketing dollars more efficient, but companies will still have the budget and they'll just reallocate the budget to more things like creativity and strategy and things like that, where you still need humans. Right. So Neil and I are kind of agreeing, but also we're, I'm, I'm kind of talking long-term here, right? So four or five years, I agree. It's like a 15, 20% cut, right? But what I'm really trying to say here is this type of technology, it, we're just in the first inning and tip of the iceberg. And 
this stuff is very deflationary. Technology is naturally deflationary. And so in 10 years time, in 15 years time, I think that number is going to just continue to increase. And so it's on you to continue to take that crawl, walk, run approach with this AI stuff just so you can stay ahead of the curve, right? You just like right now, it's very much three-year-olds teaching one-year-olds or two-year-olds. And if you're able to leverage this, just like the first, the early days of, of the internet, well, I don't well, know. When let me break this down for you, okay? AI technology is amazing. It's going to revolutionize how everyone does business and all aspects of business. Would you agree that the cloud was game-changing for the whole internet and businesses as well? Yes, but not as big as this. Okay, sure. But the cloud was massive. It Correct. allows people to create companies for pennies on the dollar. Yep. AI wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the cloud. Correct. Right? It, it allowed everything to have scale and be way more affordable to build businesses. You know how many big corporations that we talk to that are worth not $1 billion or $2 billion, I'm talking about tens of billions of dollars plus are still not on the cloud? How many? People, a lot. There's tons. Look at all these digital transformation companies. Mm -hmm. There's still companies like uh, Sutherland that do billions of dollars in revenue, helping people still get on the cloud today because they're not even on there. All I'm getting at is, yes, AI is amazing. It just doesn't mean all of a sudden all these businesses are using AI and they don't need people. There's still a lot of corporations that are archaic and they need the help for uh, from service-based businesses. The key is, I think we're saying one thing, but in two different ways. You're saying it's going to be really disruptive. I'm saying it's not as disruptive as most people think. It's going to be disruptive in many ways. And for those areas, you're going to see uh, headcount go down. But so no, that, that's not what I'm saying though. That's people not what I'm saying though. Reallocate. I'm saying it's going to be disruptive long-term. I think short-term, it's going to be like a no, blip, right? I'm saying short-term and long-term, you're going to have headcounts change in which if you had 100,000 people and 20% of them were creating content and another 20% were clicking some buttons for ad management, those departments may get whittled down, but then you're going to have new departments that pop up and you're going to be like, cool, we need more people to focus on strategy because companies aren't getting enough strategy and that's what they're paying people for. Or right. they want really creative campaigns and more dollars are going to be shifted to that because their budgets are opening up because they're not spending as much creating content. Well, yeah, that, that's technology, right? I mean, when you had like the industrial age happen, like a lot of, you know, people shifted away from farm jobs, right? So this is going to be like, this is a different type of shift. It's like a different shift in the informational age. And so all that but, to but say what is- What I'm getting at is in a lot of service-based businesses, yes, you're going to see a decrease in- uh, overall jobs that are needed, but you're also going to see an increase in other segments, uh, because it opens up more efficiencies and allows companies to spend money and more money in other areas. I still agree with you overall. Yes. I think you're going to see in the long run, less people, but I think you're going to see a shift in where dollars are being spent, in oh, totally. especially in marketing. Totally. I, like, I, I don't think... see the headcount going down by 50% for a WPP because even if there's efficiencies in a lot of departments, like if you're a big company like Microsoft, you're still, you still have a ton of EBITDA. You have X dollars marketing budget a year. If there's more efficiency in other areas and that marketing budget is profitable, I'm not saying you're investing a dollar and you're losing money or breaking even. I'm saying you're investing a dollar, you're making $2. 
companies, whether it's A or not, they still want to invest that dollar to make $2. They'll just shift where the money's spent and try to figure out other ways to put it in marketing. If the WPPs don't adapt, they're screwed. But I'm pretty sure that most of these big corporations will adapt. They just may take a while. Yeah. So main point here is people are going to adapt. People are going to level up their skills. One developer can potentially level up their superpower and become three to five different developers. Same thing with marketers as well. And the people that don't adapt, unfortunately, they're going to be, they're going to be left out. And so, look, I think this is a new age, right? So when the internet first came out, I remember when I first made my, my MP3 website, right? And like, that was a complete paradigm shift. Oh, I can make money online. I can learn a lot faster. This is just the next layer of the internet, just like I, I still believe the blockchain is one of the, the new layers of the internet. And we're going to become a lot more efficient. We're going to see technology be deflationary. So that means there could be some job loss or people need to reskill. That's fine. But I think we'll become more efficient because just the way you see, and I don't want to go too much into macroeconomics right now, but you see like the US is basically we're making we're making $4, but we're spending $6 every year. Like we're, we're talking in trillions, right? And that can't, that can't continue on. And one of the ways to kind of counteract this is technologies. But I'll just leave that for that. Um, you all let us know what you think. One other thing, talking about blockchain, isn't it funny how very few people talk about blockchain now? And Oh, they don't. The, the, the problem with blockchain is, is the use cases aren't as great compared to AI actually has a, what is already out there in AI has a much bigger impact on people's everyday lives than blockchain. Yep. So what I'll say to that is, AI has a lot is is very clearly practical. I think for your business, my business, my daily life, right? Um, blockchain's still going to take some time because it's you're literally talking money here, right? So um, more so Bitcoin. To go back when you know how you're talking about AI and service based business that's going to change a lot. I just want you to keep one thing in mind and everyone listening to, dude. People used to say, "Oh, large companies, you can just hire SEOs in house. You can just hire ad people in house, and then you don't need agencies." And what do you still see? Companies still spend an arm and a leg on agencies. They will, there will always be agencies. Yes, but same with AI. Oh, there's all this AI stuff. Cool, agencies. Help us figure out how to use uh, AI with our marketing. All I'm getting at is a lot of the basic stuff that AI can help automate and do. Yes, a lot of those jobs will change. Some will go away. Some will just be whittled down instead of a uh, thousand people, you may only need 200 people or 500 people to do the same work. But on the flip side, a lot of new roles will open up. Just like a lot of these digital transformation companies, they were helping companies get on the cloud. And they've been doing that for a long time. There's still not a lot of companies on the cloud. You know what they're going to shift to now? Helping companies leverage AI and transform their organizations using that technology. Cool. Let's move on here. Um, I actually have a, a good one. I, I saw this post go viral on LinkedIn earlier this week, and I thought I'd share this one. So this is from the CMO of Calendly. So give me one second. I'm pulling it up. So this gal, so Jessica Gilmartin, CMO at Calendly. So she says, in an average week, I receive about 100 emails, 40 calls, and 50 connection LinkedIn connection requests from salespeople. Even though I'm incredible incredibly empathetic to salespeople. After all, I've been one myself. Um, basically, she's saying, it's you probably don't want to reach out to the CMO. So the big tip here is she doesn't direct how the budget is spent. The bottom line is, if you want to find a decision maker, you should try to do some more digging and find the right person within the marketing team. So th that's that's a good tip. And you know, after all, someone has to go through RFP, legal, finance, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, look, if you ultimately need to email me, the CMO, or another company's CMO, here's what I suggest doing. Make it super clear in the title what value you're going to add in the email. That's number one. 
Number two, share something with me that will make me do my job better and that I'm excited to pass down to my team. Word of mouth marketing is definitely the most powerful way to build your brand and get your prospects motivated to return your emails. And one final thought here, since I know how much time and money marketers spend on events and I love for you to see a great return on your investment, I'd much rather you offer an invitation to a sporting event or a lovely dinner to my team members who don't have as many of these opportunities and who I know will appreciate them instead of me. Thoughts? Yeah, I saw that earlier. And when I saw it, it only had like a thousand or 2,000 likes. 11,000 likes on it. Yeah, now it's blown up. Uh, I, I think it's spot on. I get the same thing. I get tons and tons of emails every single day pitching me on stuff. I think I'm getting somewhere around like 30 plus a day, seven days a week. So I'm getting a crap load. And what people forget to realize is once a company has, like we're not big yet, we're still small. We're at 700 and something people. Um, but even at our size, I'm not the right person who handles most stuff. Like I was at an event in Germany a few days ago and someone's hitting me up and being like, yeah, check out what we're doing on Twitter. Like, we'd love you for you to do this and use it. Like, what do you think? I'm like, dude, I don't manage this. I'm like, here's a person's cut. They're like, oh, how do we get you to help us out? I'm like, I'm not the right person. I don't even manage this channel. You should talk to them. They'll either tell you if they like it or not. And it doesn't matter what feedback I give you because I'm not going to be the one who actually uses it. And it was hard for them to understand that I'm not the right decision maker. And they're just like, but you're the owner of the company. I'm like, it doesn't matter if I'm the owner of the company or CMO or whatever title I have. If you want to close revenue, whether it's in marketing or sales, you need to reach your ideal customer. Your ideal customer in most cases isn't an executive. The executive will sign off on it, but it's the person who's actually running that product or the director or the marketing manager. The C-level suite usually just signs off on stuff, and that is usually not the person you want to target for most things. Even when we're you know, selling multi-million dollar deals, um, you may end up talking with the CMOs, but you got to more so get the rest of the team on board. If the rest of the team are on aren't on board, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I'll just share a story here. I remember maybe this is five or six years old, five, five or six years ago, I was more involved with kind of the, the BD side of things. And I remember I threw a dinner in, in SF and there were a handful of, they're not, they weren't CMOs, but they were leaders. They were marketing leaders. Let's say marketing directors or VPs of marketing. And that one dinner itself led to us doing a deal with Lyft. So Lyft B2B, the, the car company, and led to doing a deal with an analytics company. And I think there's like a third deal, right? But my main point here is all the people here, they weren't CMO level. The CMOs didn't necessarily have time either. And eventually they told their CMOs and we got the deal done. But also these people eventually leveled up their careers and became VPs. They became CMOs themselves and they followed around. They followed us around at other companies. So the point is, you got to make sure that whoever it is that you're talking to, they're the right person and that they actually have the capacity to even talk to you in the first place. So, you know, leading out with a good hook in the very beginning, a, a nice event is cool too, but an insight that might be helpful, something that might make them look good. That's, you got to think about what incentives they're really aligned to, and then you want to help them achieve those incentives. Yep. Totally agree. So I think that's it for this episode. We've been going for quite a while. We've been having fun today. Um, Oh, wait, wait, wait. We have, we have one more. We have one more before we go. All one right. more before we go. All right. Go all right. So, so we got, so this week going into politics. 
Yeah, well, no, no, but we want to talk about this from a marketing angle. So Ron DeSantis, so neither of us are saying we support DeSantis or whoever else here. So Ron DeSantis did a Twitter spaces. He did it with Elon Musk and David Sachs. And this Twitter spaces, as of this recording, has gotten over 10 million views. And Trump actually had a response afterwards saying he had a big red button or whatever. So he's back on Twitter as well. And I think there is, I'll just go first, Neil. Like my, my take on this one is that the free speech platform that Elon is trying to make Twitter, I think we're seeing more and more of it now, right? You have, um, you know, if you have 10 million people that have tuned in, that's very significant. That's more than any, if you, like, if you mind, Elon has a massive audience. Anything he does, on anything, it's skewed results. If he does, but Elon, then, I'm but then, millions, I would be curious but then Trump responded, money. right? But then Trump responded and then boom, immediately he's like, I'm back, right? He's going to do his faces too. I think he got like a million impressions or something like that. So he also has a lot of followers too. But, but the problem with this is anyone listening can't replicate this because they don't have the following of Elon or Trump or any of these guys. Well, my, my main point here is that I think we're going to get, we're going to see more usage from Twitter overall because we're seeing it change right in front of us, right? So I'm not saying you're going to get the reach that they're going to get. I'm saying that we're going to see more usage from Twitter in general and that the narrative around, you know, traditional media controlling everything that's shifting you want to know one of the biggest reasons you're going to see more usage on twitter go ahead because we're getting into election year that's one piece of it but i think i'm seeing my usage increase a lot too right into election year and the news outlets the social sites what else do you think they're talking about yeah but it's not like the entire world follows u.s politics a lot of the world follows U.S. politics. It it's does, massive. but not not all the world, right? It's like no, I, not I, all the world, but dude, I travel, I travel almost every single week to a different country. No joke, literally, I'm traveling almost every single week. I kid you not, almost every single event I go to, 99% of the time, people talk to me about U.S. politics, and I don't even bring it up. Our politics are really common in almost all countries that I'm going to. From Brazil Here, watch, to Germany, Neil. To UK. When was the last cycle? When when did um when did Biden win? Uh, well, next year is election year, so it would have been roughly two and a half years. So, like twenty nineteen, it should have gone up, right? Uh, was it twenty nineteen? Twenty nineteen, because he 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 like he won basically. He got sworn in twenty twenty, yeah. right? So twenty nineteen yeah, would. Just looking at brand crush for Twitter. Look at how many people are talking about election related stuff on the internet. You, well, you yeah, know, but you can't you can't correlate that with Twitter. Like that doesn't exactly correlate one to one. No, but this is not Twitter's traffic. This is just people typing in Googling Twitter. Yeah, we're just this is we're this is overall interest, right? Like we don't have a a best way to look at this, but I'm the saying I disagree with you. The best way you look at it is go pull up Twitter's traffic sets. Do you have a similar web account? Go look at their traffic No, you, you pull it up. Do you have one? I don't. That would be yeah, the best well, way to look it up. Because you're just, I'm not saying you're right or you're wrong. All I'm saying is that's just a chart of how many people are Googling the word Twitter. I think, so next time we'll have a similar web. Maybe we'll do it for the episodes we record tomorrow on what whether we think, um, I, I just don't think but, but Twitter's growth is attributed speak, just to elections. No, no. Forget Twitter spaces. Generally speaking, anything election related during election time is super popular. That's what the whole world is talking about. Agreed. Whether they find them on Twitter or Rumble or they find them on Facebook. It doesn't matter. There, People are everywhere trying to get their political news. And you should see it increase usage everywhere.
I think we're going to see increased usage. I just don't think it's going to be like I'm saying. Type in Joe Biden during that time. You're going to see a spike. You'll see a spike. Yeah, no shit. It's it's, uh, him, Joe Joe Biden and Trump are popular during that time. But that has nothing to do with Twitter. No, no, no. Yeah, it does. You're going to see a spike on him on Twitter and people are going and seeing him on Twitter. Sorry, I shouldn't say that it has nothing to do with Twitter. I'm just saying it, sh- it doesn't. it's not the end-all, be-all for Twitter's growth. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Twitter's growth. I'm talking about the DeSantis thing that you're talking about. Oh, oh he got 10 million views. Of course, he's trying to run for presidential. He's trying to be a, a presidential or the president or whatever you want to call it eventually, right? Well, I'm saying it's a seminal moment because we haven't seen that before, right? So, like, we haven't seen – like, the most we've seen before on the Twitter spaces, maybe, maybe like 100,000 people or so. This was like three or 400,000 concurrently. And so, yes, it's a big moment. It's a presidential moment. I'm but saying we're going to see usage continue Elon to go Musk up. Musk is one of the most popular Twitter users on the space. If you take him out, that will give you a true reference of what's normal. I think I'm saying you. That's all I'm, I'm getting. At. I, I'm also saying like it's things are changing, right? So yes, I agree. Elon comes in. He's he's like got the most followers, right? But I think over time, like I'm seeing my usage increase on Twitter. I'm like when I'm with this investors conference last week, a lot more people are creating on Twitter. So and you, even you said that you're going to use Twitter more. So main point from my end is that we're going to see more usage on Twitter. I'm not saying you're necessarily going to get the results that Elon helped DeSantis get. That's all I'm saying. So. Yeah, look, hopefully we all see more uses on Twitter because who doesn't want more platforms? Um, and I think that helps. But if you go back to the Google Trends chart that you were showcasing, even before Elon has bought them, according to that Trends chart, they're pretty much flat or down. It actually has not gone up. Correct. All right. So anyway, not to beat a dead horse, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think. The ratings and reviews really help us go a long way. And uh, we will see you tomorrow. We appreciate you joining us for this session of Marketing School. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit marketingschool.io for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you find true marketing success. That's marketingschool.io. Until next time, class dismissed.